It's so good to be here. My name is Gina. For those who are new or joined us since COVID, um, and I've just seen familiar faces. I was going to say old faces, but nobody likes their face to be said. It's old, but you know what I mean, familiar faces. So it's good to see you all. And um, today, my goal is to bring to you encouragement and comfort, because I think we need a little bit of that after the last two years that we have had, and maybe some of you like this last week or this last month that you've had, whatever. Um, and the, the Bible actually says that th this is a command, that we are to comfort others the way God has comforted us, with the comfort that God has given us, that we are to comfort others. And so what I'm going to share with you today, what I feel on my heart, is things that in the last two years, and you know, yeah, basically these last two years, that I've just, you know, we've been home, right? And just sitting at home for, you know, those times of isolation. And what do you do when you're just sitting at home besides doing homework with your children and, you know, trying to get the dishes done because everyone's home and eating all the time, right? Um, is I would get up very, very early in the mornings and I would just come to God with lots of troubles on my heart. And I would come to him seeking comfort, seeking encouragement. And God was faithful to me every single time. I would feel his presence. I would feel his word come to me. My Bible would, you know, I would just open up my Bible and start reading something and I'd be like, wow, this is just the thought I had, the trouble that I had, the worry that I had. And there's an answer there for that. And so what, com what I'm sharing with you today is to bring comfort and encouragement as God has given that to me. Okay, so with that being said, I have a question to ask. Do you all remember when maybe you were in school? Um, I'm sure you would remember if you were homeschooling your kids during the, the break here, but when they would bring you this terrible math problem. Are there any math people here who are really good at math? Come on, raise your hand. We're not going to beat you. We got a few. So, yeah, we got a few. You know, I, I was never good at math until I started homeschooling my children. I have actually homeschooled my children for like eight years. So um, what everyone was upset about, I was like, this is my life, guys. Now you know I have gray on the temples. Now you know. Um, and, you know, one thing I have learned about math is that um, when the problem looks really, really big and bad, right, oftentimes they tell you to simplify it, right? What happens? Okay, you've got these great big horrible numbers, let's say a fraction, right? Um, and I'm going to give you a simple fraction, okay, 50 over 100, right? It's hard when you look at something that's like 50 over 100, but when you reduce it, and you simplify it, what is it? One half, right. Now, one half is not so bad, is it? It's more understandable, isn't it? Um, well, it's the same for, okay, we're not all math people, so some of you I lost already. Um, English, English. Do we have our, our English boffins here? I'm actually, I, I have a degree in English language. So um, with, with English, let's say you get this big old lofty poem, right? Poetry is like, what even are you saying, right? And that is the question you should ask when you come to a piece of literature like a poem. What are you saying? <laughs> what is the theme here? Simplify it. Just part of me wants to say, just say it, <laughs> you know? Just say what you mean. But what happens is when you find the theme, the very simple thing of what it's about, then you look at it and you go, oh, okay. And then when you go to read it or do the math problem, you see what all, you see it 
in a different light. And you see, like, particularly for poems or, or like a, a novel, and you know that theme, you know what all the little flourishes mean. And it's all to bulk up that theme, isn't it? It's just beautiful, flower, flowery language. Because if you said just what the theme was, well, then you wouldn't have a poem, would you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, if I said to you, the sun is beautiful. Okay, well, that's not a poem, is it? But what you want is the floweriness, you know, the rays of light fall gently. You know, you want all that from a poem, right? But what does it do? It just bulks up the simplicity of the theme. Okay, now, I, I was going to bring my, I have a Bible at home that once I brought it to church, because some, I just remembered, Andy said, oh, we should be bringing our Bibles to church, right? But my, I have my study Bible, it was the only one available, it's like this thick, it is ridiculous. And I don't know if any of you are familiar with, um, with Bibles, uh, I don't know if it's done anymore, but like when I was a little girl, I remember my mother and father used to say, oh, we buy, when um, couples are getting married, we buy them a marriage coffee table Bible. Anybody remember those? I know I'm truly showing my age, but they're about as big as the top, I'm not kidding you, as this, as this pulpit, it's gi they're gigantic. And it's so you can write all the family names in them and, and you know, deaths and births and baptisms and the whole lot. Anyway these giant Bibles, but, but let, let, can I just borrow your, because this is one big Bible here, your very, very holy pastor, Steve. Look at this Bible. Look at this Bible. This is, this is something, right? Imagine if you took, if you, any novel that that's big, you go, wow, that's really big. That's a really big book, right? This is big here, but I just want you to notice the bigness of it, all the pages of it, and these are thin pages, so that's a lot. These are like rice paper pages, so there's a lot of content in there. But what do we get when we boil down the Bible? If I was going to simplify the Bible, okay? Just like in the math and just like in, in a poem, from Genesis to Revelation, that's the first book to the very last book, and it's 66 different books. Some of them are letters, but we just call it all books. So there's 66 of them, and they're all in one, they've been put into a volume, and that's what our Bibles are, 66 separate books written by many different authors over like a thousand years. But did you know, when you boil it all down, what's the simple story? What is the theme that every single one of them... Now, you saw the size of that Bible. Now, it would be... I'm, I'm going to give you the whole Bible, okay? <laughs> I bet you're all like, no, not the whole Bible. I'm going to show you when you boil it down to its basic theme, okay? So I've got five little points. Number one, paradise. You know, God makes this, creates, creator God, the king, creates this perfect world, and he puts a man and a woman as his representative in this place to enjoy it all. Number two, fall and brokenness. The humans in the garden, they reject what God's will and plan is. What happens? They open a door of sin, and brokenness comes into our beautiful wor world. And I'm going to stop right there for a second, and I'm just going to say that sin that they opened the door to was the biggest, worst problem of humanity, okay? That was the biggest, worst problem of humanity. It was our separation from God because of sin. Now, just hold that, okay? Number three, the restoration plan now kicks in, and that begins almost immediately. Did you know that? Sin happens right at the beginning of Genesis. By Genesis 3, there's already a plan in action, happening, that's a promise that, that in Genesis 3, a promise is made to the woman by God himself that it says basically, well, not basically, it says this. It says, you're going to have a child, woman. You know, he'll, she'll come, this child will come from you, and he will crush the head of that serpent. 
It's already in motion. Number four, the kingdom reclaimed. Okay, what, how, when's this? When a light comes into the world. Who is that light? Come on. We celebrate this every year. Jesus. That's right. Jesus God with us. He comes into the world and he dwells among us and he brings a message, the message of the kingdom of God. And this message is this, in a nutshell, that God is going to do something about the brokenness. And what happens? He does something. He's, well, he's born, he, he lives, he's buried, and then he is resurrected. And everything is restored back to him. And the last bit, okay, this is it. This is the whole Bible, guys. Kingdom fulfilled. This bit we're still waiting for. He will come again. Jesus will replace the kingdoms of the world with God's kingdom. A new heaven and a new earth. And the restoration is complete. I just gave you the whole Bible, okay? (laughs) I just gave you the whole Bible. That is the simple theme of that gigantic book, of that big book that sits on people's coffee tables. That is the whole theme. And like I said, notice that that biggest problem that hum- humankind ever had, it was sorted. Our sin problem, our separation from God, it was just sorted. He sorted out our biggest, biggest problem. And then we come to this, John 1.12. This is the result of our being sorted out by God. But to all who receive him, Jesus, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. And that's where we're left. That's where we're left at the end of all that trouble, at the end of all that brokenness that, that we brought into the world. God fixed it, and he made us so that we can be his children. And that's the whole Bible. I'm done. I see you. No, I'm kidding. But you know what? I want to just boil it down even a little more, because I can, into two points. We created a huge problem. God had a plan to fix it, and he did. Okay? But who thinks I can boil it down even more? Because I can. (laughs) I'm going to boil it down even more. And it's this. He was going to help us because we were helpless. That is the simplest of simple that that whole book represents. He was going to help us because we were helpless. We couldn't save ourselves. You look at the, the world today. Look at the news. There's so much bad out there. You know, we see what the results of sin are. We couldn't save ourselves. We still can't save ourselves, but he can save us. Okay, so here's a question. At what point in all of that that I just told you, did God decide, I'm going to help them? Hmm, okay, well, I'll just answer that. And I'm going to tell you, it wasn't when he made that promise to Eve that I'm going to crush the head of Satan. We read about it in a couple of places in the New Testament, but one place in particular, 1 Peter 1, 19 through 20. Listen to this. This was our biggest problem that we had, this problem of sin and separation with God. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, before the creation of the world, before we even had a problem. He had the solution. But, was, but Jesus was revealed in these last times for your sake. And he's also called in another place the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. 
There was an answer to the world's biggest, most bad, most horrible problem before there even was a problem, before there even was an ocean, before there was sand, before there was animals and skies and clouds and rain and people. There was an answer already for our biggest problem. Okay, when, di when actually um, did the help come? And I'm going to tell you when that help actually came, okay? So we were promised before there was anything that there was an answer for our problem, even before we had a problem. But when did that help actually come? Galatians 4, 4 through 5. Let me read this. But when the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time had come, when it was ready, <laughs> when did it come? In the best time possible, the fullness of time. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. His plan came at just the right time, when the world was primed and ready in every way possible, historically, politically, um, in every way the world was just heaving for help. And then it came. Jesus was born. And you know, God's help didn't really look like help, because when the answer came, which we know is Jesus, right, God's people were under um, Roman occupation. They were basically slaves to the Romans, being oppressed, and, and they were in their own land, but they were second class, maybe lower than that, citizens, not treated well, didn't have rights. They were treated like dogs by the Romans. And this is the help that God gives. A crying, pooping baby. <laughs> if you would have asked anyone, if you would have brought this little baby and said, this is the hope of the world, they would have thrown rocks at you and killed you. <laughs> because what did they want? The help that they wanted looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's what was in their mind with, you know, commando stuff all over him and guns and, you know, war paint on his face. That's what they wanted. That's what they were hoping for because they wanted someone to help them out of what they thought was their biggest problem, which was they were slaves to the Romans. That's what the help they wanted. But sometimes our help doesn't look like what we want. But God knows what we need. He knows what we need at the very heart of every problem. And sometimes what we need isn't necessarily what we think we need, okay? Okay. Anyway, it's been said, and you have all would have heard this, that God helps those who help themselves. We all heard that, right? But did you know that that is not biblical? Not at all. It's actually this, that God helps those who cannot help themselves. And, and there's a word for that, and that's called grace. God helps those who cannot help themselves, and that's what God gave us. We couldn't help ourselves, and he said, I'm going to help them, okay? So grace is this. Anyone taking notes? God doing for us what we are helpless to do for ourselves. That is a definition of grace and a beautiful definition of grace. And God didn't just suddenly become this grace-filled God. You know, he was like mean God back then, and now he's kind of nice God. He has always been grace-filled. Always. You can see it from page one if you really look. And sometimes you don't have to really look. It's right there, you know. But he's always been this way. And the word of God says that his nature never changes. That's Malachi 3.6. He says, I change not. And when he says that, he means about his nature and who he is. And there's so much in the character of God um, 
And we can even, there's so much good in the character of God. We can even see it in the law of Moses. You know, we actually look back and think, oh, the law, the law is this rigid and horrible thing we used to have to live under. And yes, I agree. It was very difficult, and thank the Lord, we don't have to live under the law anymore. But even under the law, you could see the goodness of God and how God's desire was to help people and how his nature was good and kind. In the law of Moses, which God himself um, gave to Moses to write down, so God initiated this. You can read it in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 15, and there's places in Leviticus as well. But this is what he said about widows and orphans and those suffering poverty. He told the farmers of that day, he said, when, when you reap all your harvest, I don't want you, I want you to go only to a certain point, not all the way to the end, and I want you to leave loads around the edges, because I want it there for the widows, for the orphans, and for the poor, and I want to make sure they're provided for, and that is in the law, and that's what I want you to do. I made provision for them. Did you know what he said about people who were in terrible debt? This is what he said. Every seven years, all debts between the Israelites were to be canceled. All of them, all loans forgiven. Oh, Lord, why do we not live in this world anymore, right? Indentured servants. You know what an indentured servant would be? Is that I have no money to pay you for what you've done for me. So I'm going to give you my life, basically, and my time, and I am going to come and I'm going to serve you to pay off my debt. So it's like giving your life in time to pay for your debt. So indentured servants, um, after the seven years, released released, whether the debt was paid or not. That was the law of God. This is our God. This is our kind God under the law. Okay? Um, also, God forbid them to charge interest in lending money to one another. C can we just please have God in, the, in you know, number 10? That would be awesome. Right? He even cared for, you think, oh, well, that was because they were Israelites and he loved the Israel, he loved the Jews. He made commands about foreigners in the land. That is all non-Israeli people. And he said, you are to treat them well. You are to treat them kindly. If they're passing through, make sure if you see they're hungry, you feed them. If, if you see they have need, you give to them. He was so kind, even under the law. Now, God is a very mysterious character. Would we all agree? that he's pretty mysterious, right? But how do we know anything about God? It's what's revealed in the Bible, like, um, it's what's revealed in the word of God, and in particular, through his names. God is not in the Bible just called God. I don't know if you knew that, but he has many names in the Bible. It's all him, but it's different aspects of who God is and his character, and he's revealed through his names. He's not just God. There is, for example, I'm just going to throw a few out, Yahweh, which means the Lord, Jehovah Jireh. You've all heard that. There's a beautiful song out there. That means the Lord will provide. How about Je Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. These are his names. Now, I'm going to talk in particular about one called Jehovah Ezer. It's E-Z-E-R. Okay? Jehovah Ezer. And you know what that means? It means the Lord my or our help. The Lord my help. And in the Old Testament, this name's used 21 times, and it's also used in a Greek version of it in the New Testament as well. You see, he doesn't change, so he is still going to be the Lord my help. Um, and what this word Ezer means in its original language, it's this idea that God helps us in the battles that are too difficult for us. Isn't that beautiful? He helps us in the battles that are too difficult for us. When we have come to the end of ourselves, you know, the debt's too big, 
The problem's too big. The, the mental health is too much. The disease is too much, you know? My kids are too much. <laughs> My marriage, it's too much. I, it's not working. It's not, things are bad, you know? When it's all too much, he is the Lord, our help. Okay? And we have to understand when I'm saying help and helper here, don't try to understand it with our Western idea of what a helper is. Because in our culture, a helper is just a subordinate, isn't it? It's just someone who holds, you know, uh, the toolbox while the real one, you know, goes and fixes the thing. You know, I'm the helper, you know, and it's basically just this little person who doesn't really know how to do anything. They're just an extra pair of hands. That is not what it is meant in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, the helper, the helper refers to one who is superior in position. Okay, and it's often used, you'll notice when you read anything in the scripture where there is, where they speak of the Lord as my helper. It's used in a military sense for being an ally in the field of battle. Can't life be like a battle? Often, I was going to say sometimes, but like often. You know, it's like a battle. It's like we're always fighting. We're always trying to make it. We're always trying to survive. We're always trying to get above. We're always trying to, you know, there's another mountain in the way. I've got to climb that now, you know. And, and so he's spoken of our helper oftentimes as in our help in battle. For example, Psalm 33:20, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our Jehovah Ezer, our help, and our shield. When do you need a shield? I mean, I don't usually gather my things together and say, I'm going to pick up a pint of milk. I'll be back. I just need my bag and my shield. You know, we don't do that. When do you need a shield? You need a shield in war. And that's when we need Jehovah Ezer. We need him in our battles. And sometimes life is a battle. You know, it really is. Okay. Now, the nature of someone who wants to help is often comes from a place of compassion. Isn't that true? Who helps people? Compassionate people, don't they? They have compassion. Um, and God understands what our life is like on this earth. I mean, he, he clearly calls us and he says of us, I know they are made of dust. That's what he, he, you know, he knows what we're made of. You know, at the end of the day, he made us from dust and he remembers that. And it's not to belittle us, but it's for us to remember that we are but made of dust so that we remember that we need God. Okay, it's important that we know that. But the nature of the compassion of, of the, the helper is compassion. And this, the scriptures, I was, I was spoiled for choice to find verses on the compassion of God. There's so many. The scripture speaks of God in the most compassion. I'm just going to throw three of them out. I'm just throw them out there. You catch them. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, Psalm 86:15. As a father has compassion, on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, Psalm 103, 13. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion, Psalm 116, 5. I could spend the rest of the very short time I have now in just talking about the compassion of God from the scripture, not saying one word of my own, just speaking from the scriptures. Uh, okay, now since I said God doesn't change, he's the same in the New Testament as the Old Testament, um, we find it's equal to the word Ezer in the New Testament, where we have Ezer, the God, God is our helper, Jehovah our helper. In the New Testament, that word is Boetheo, and it means the one who comes to the aid of, okay? 
right in time, comes to the aid of right in time to meet an urgent and real need. That's what that means. Wow. I mean, that's amazing to me. And not only is that amazing, I'm so grateful to God that he sees some of my needs as urgent, you know? Um, It also describes, and this one, I love this because it's like a word picture. It describes one, this boetheo, one who runs on hearing a cry to give assistance. He runs. I just get this picture as I'm praying for my, 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 the biggest things that are in my life, that are my biggest problems and the biggest hurts and pains in God, and I'm pouring them out to him, that he is running to me to give me his assistance. And that is the heart of God toward his children. And that's what is used. That, that in the New Testament, it's Hebrews 13, 6. Sorry. I've got to think of a better way to get notes done here. In these big papers. Okay, let me read to you. Um, oh, where's that? Okay, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, and now I want to read this the way it was written before it was translated. This is the way it was written in Greek. I will never, never leave you. It was a double negative, and in Greek, you can have double negatives. In English, they don't work, but in Greek, they do. But that's why they didn't put the two never, never, because then it would cancel itself out. But in Greek, it doesn't. So that verse actually says, God said, I will never, never leave you, and I will never, never forsake you. Isn't that beautiful? I wish they would have written it that way, so that we would really know what they are saying, that he will never, never Double, (laughs) never, never leave you, never, never forsake you. Um, And we say with confidence, this is the the same verse um, I'm reading, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now, one other thing I want to say that the translator added to that is where it says, the Lord is my helper. There There was no is. He said this, so we say, the Lord my helper. I will not be afraid. And what that is the difference between is saying, let's say God's standing right here, and I say, here's God, guys. He can help you. Or saying this, the Lord, my helper. And that the difference there is that when I call him by that name, the Lord, my helper, it's saying something about who he is, not just what he can do here and then and what he wants to do whenever, but that it is actually in the very nature of God and his character to want to help us, to desire to help us, to never, never leave us and never, never forsake us. That's his promise to us. Beautiful. I love him so much, and I'm just so grateful for that. But I want to leave you with this, okay? Is there anyone here who has any situation in their life, any problem that they're finding to be oppressive in their life, any long-standing thing that's been a problem for so long that it's like you almost overlook this horrific thing in your life because it's just been there just for ages and ages and ages, and you sort of got used to the pain. You know, is there anyone who's got such big debt that you think, God, I don't know how I'm going to make it because I just got this letter from the government that said everything's going up by like 50-something percent this coming year, and I don't know how I'm going to make it. 
Is there anyone here who's saying, I really don't know what I'm going to do because the gas prices are going up and my job and my livelihood and my family's safety and you know, being able to, to have food and a house depends on whether I can drive to work or not. You know, or maybe you've got problems with a family member because they're just so off the rails and you love them so much, but they're just, they're just doing wrong and living wrong and it's too much and I can't do it anymore and it's driving me crazy and I, 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 I worry and I'm sitting up at night and these things and I can't close my eyes at night. It's too much. And I'm going to just put it to you this way. Is there anyone here who wants to say, God, you know, or who has said, you know, just in your situation, isn't anyone going to give me a break? Can I just have a break? Can I just, can someone cut me some slack? And I just want to say to you right now that I don't know who prayed that prayer. I mean, I prayed that prayer <laughs> many times. But I feel like God is saying to you and saying to you, I care. I'm answering you. You prayed that and I heard you. And I think he's also saying this, that I will help you. No one else cares. You know, you're on, and I'm not bad-mouthing any kind of NHS. I think it's amazing and wonderful, and I thank God for our NHS and our NHS system. It's just very taxed. I understand that. But maybe you've got some serious problems, and you're at the very end of a very long list of people who need help, and you think, nobody cares. I'm withering away. I'm fainting away. My child is sick. This thing is growing. This problem is getting bigger and no one cares. And I just want to say that God says to you, I care. I will help you. Because you know what? From the very beginning, when we boiled it all down was, I, I want to help you. You've got a big problem and I want to help you. And, and we all saw that when did his help come? His help came before even the foundation of the world. He already had the answer. And he already has your answer. And this is all you have to do is cry out to him. Cry out to him. You know what the scripture says? It says he resists the proud, but he gives grace. Grace. Doing for you what you can't do for yourself to the humble. That's what he does. So... <laughs> I'm just going to, you know what? Pride is not my friend. So I'm asking you to raise your hand if you fit under any of those charities, under any of those things that I just said, right? Or any of those things. But I'm raising two hands and two feet, okay? I'm just holding this so I can't do it. <laughs> because I need God's help every day, and I'm not proud, and I'm throwing pride off, and I'm saying, God, I need you. I need your help. I am so, I don't care anymore what anyone sees. I'm just put my hands up, God, because I need you more than I need, you know, to look like Mr. Cool or Miss Cool or Miss whatever. I need you, God. And you promise to be my helper. Is there anyone here that would like God's help? Because I'm putting my hand up. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I'm going to pray right now for every single one of you. Keep your hands up. It's kind of just like a surrender to God. That's all that means. Father, I pray for each and every person, Father, with a hand raised, including my own, Father. And I just say, Lord, you are Jehovah Ezer, Father. You are our Boatheo, Father. You are the one who runs to our assistance, Father, when you hear the cry. And Father, hear our cry, Lord. We need you. We need you, God. We need you, God. We need you, God. 
there's nothing else and no one else and nothing else, Lord, is helping. And we just know we need you. We need you for our health, for our finances, for our families, for our children, for our needs, our daily needs. We need you, Father God. We need you for our everything, Lord. We need you for the answers to the most intimate prayers of our hearts, even the things we're too ashamed to admit that we have a problem with, Lord. We need help with those things, and we can't sort them. We are helpless, and we come before you throwing our pride aside and just saying, we come to you humbly, Father, and you will never, never leave us, and you will never, never forsake us. And for this, we are so grateful, Father. So, Father, each and every person with a hand raised, I pray you touch their life. And this week, Father, even let them begin to see some of the answers and let them know, Father, that you are Jehovah Ezra and that it is you who have done these things because you are so good and gracious and compassionate. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And in these final moments, I'm sorry, it just gets me emotional because I love God. And let me just tell you, he has answered prayers like that when there have been nothing else. I mean, some of you, I have a daughter who was very, very sick, who was very, very sick. Um, Very, very sick to the point of there was no answers for her anymore. And doctors didn't have anything they could do for her. And they were doing their best. And I understood that. But one day I cried. I was just in the house. I was alone, which is a rare thing. And I just felt the heaviness and the hopelessness of that moment. And what was going to become of my daughter? What was going to become of her? I didn't know. And I just fell on the floor in a little crumpled heap. And I cried out to God. It was not a beautiful prayer. It was a desperate, snotty, tear-filled prayer. And it was just basically me screaming, only you, only you, only you could help me. Only you. And I prayed this prayer and I just fell and I just, I just, I felt like I had climbed up the lap of God, like he was a mountain and got in his face and held his face and looked in his eyes and said, only you, you've got to help me. And I just felt finished after that. And I felt peace come over my heart. And, and I'll tell you what happened. A couple of days later, I went to church. Nothing had changed. My daughter was still very unwell. And a little um, woman, this little cute woman that I heart, I, I'd seen her around. I didn't know her that well. But she comes up to me and she just says, hello. And I said, hi. Now, no one knew that my daughter was not well at that time. And she, she said, God was talking to me this week when I took a walk and I wrote it down and it was for you and she put it in my hand and I said oh that's nice and I thought that's a little weird but okay I put it in my pocket I didn't want to read it right there and I waited till after church was over and I read it during the tea time when I just thought oh yeah that note and I took it out and I started to read that note and the note basically said, I've kept this note because this note, I look at this note to remind myself of the goodness and compassion of God. And I, I read this note and the note said, it said, Gina, I'm going, it, it had a few other words, but the basic words was, I'm going to help you. She isn't going to be this way much longer. She will have joy again and you are going to see a miracle. And I did. It wasn't instantly it wasn't instantly. It, it was, but I'll tell you what happened though. The miracle happened here and here before it happened in my daughter. I felt like a thousand bricks lift off me when I read that note because 
not only was it just I'm going to help you this this woman didn't know I had prayed uh, some other things in that prayer time that were so intimate and specific that she answered in this note that she would have only known had she been in that room and she was not in that room I didn't even really know this lady and I just knew God you are so compassionate and you are so good and I know you're going to do this I was free I was free and I began to see my daughter get better and better and better to the point is when I took her back to the doctor a couple of months later, he said, what have you done? I said, I prayed. <laughs> he thought I was crazy, but I said, I just took it to God. I said, I took it to God and he helped me. I said, I, I don't know what else to say. And he made me write up this whole thing so that he could, he could keep it and encourage himself in helping people with the same problem. That was an ungodly doctor who told me outright on the day I met him, he was not a man of faith. And he said, I need you to write this down for me. And I did not exclude anything. It was God, 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 that whole letter. Anyway, anyway, can I just say, is there anyone here who doesn't know Jesus and who doesn't have a relationship with God? And you can have a relationship with God. We can be the sons and daughters of God now. Our biggest problem is solved. All you have to do is say me, yes. Okay, and there's nothing wrong with with admitting that, you know, like I said, he resists, you know, the ones with pride and but he gives grace to the humble. Is there anyone here who needs Jesus and will pray that salvation prayer? Is there anyone? Amen. That's wonderful. I believe then you all know the Lord. That's wonderful. Anyway, time's gone now, and I hope I have encouraged you. And I'm, I am believing for each and every one of you who have raised their hands um, and who are believing, even if you didn't raise your hands because you were too shy, whatever. I just believe God's going to do a great work. I do. I think you're going to begin to see, and I want you to tell your pastors as, as it happens, as Jehovah Ezer comes to your aid and comes to your help and does those things you tell him make sure you fill in those things that say you know um praise report because i believe god so wants to help you amen anyway it's been my pleasure so um wonderful